You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Plenty to get into in this episode, including the big extension handed out to fan favorite Adam Larry over the weekend. But a very special guest has been gracious enough to stop by, so let's roll right into it to help recap the trade deadline and what's to come for the Winnipeg Jets this year and next very pleased now to bring on Hockey Insider and TSN Senior Reporter, Frank Saravelli. Frank, how's it going today, man? Brandon, what's up? Not much, not much. I'm pretty pleased to know that we share a, a deep love for food, so I wanted to start with this. I, I wanted to ask you this for a while on the big show, but uh, my old co-host, my boys, Jim and Troy, they're not foodies, so they never let me get this one in, but... You spending as much time in Philadelphia as you have in your past, I got to ask you the obvious question. What's the what's the go-to cheesesteak spot in Philly? Oh, man. So, look, everyone knows the tourist spots, the Pats and Geno's. Uh, you know, if you've been to Philly, you might be familiar with Tony Luke's. For me, uh, I've been a loyal subject of Steve's Prince of Steaks. So oh. if you make it to Philly, it's a little bit more of a local spot. Um, you know, I, I just... They have this, their bread isn't the best. And sometimes that's what makes a really good cheesesteak, but they have, it's the cheese. I'm all about the cheese at Steve's Prince of Steaks. You got to go double meat and American cheese. It's not just like sliced cheese. It's actually, um, you know, they basically stick it in a, uh, uh, a crock pot essentially. And it's like melted gooey American oh. cheese. So it's, it's, I call it liquid American and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Like, cause what happens is you're eating the steak. Okay. And as you're biting it, it's kind of like oozing out and then you can like it's So it's on the paper in front of you on the table and then you can take your steak and you can wipe it in the American oh. for the next bite. And it's a, it's, it's awesome. So it's like a cheese dip almost, which is just yes. Heavenly. Yeah, and it's warm, and it's it's. I think it's the best steak going. Their steak isn't chopped up. Actually, at Steve's, it's like sliced patties, and um, I don't know. I just think it's the best one around. Nice. That's a that's a definite like local answer because if you say some of the names you mentioned earlier on, you're not from Philly. So I'm glad I'm glad you you got that one out of the way. Have you ever been to Woodrow's? I have not. Uh, actually, I don't even know where that is. It's in Philly. I, I mean, I've been. 
I've been to Philly like six or seven times, but wow. I still don't I don't know the area super well. Mm-hmm. But they do a truffle cheese sauce. Uh, see, and like then, when you start to get exotic, I think that kind of like it defeats the purpose, right? Like this is supposed to be like easy, kind of like blue collar food. And when you start throwing in truffles into the mix, <laughs> you're like, like, where does it end? Like, like, I, and I think if you're also Brandon, by the way, if you're going to go through and you're going to rate cheesesteaks, you got to do it consistently. Like I see people are all over the map. Oh, I got mushrooms here. I got this. They like, no, like just for me, it's plain steak cheese. And if you want onions, fine. But I, I probably I don't even go onions on my steak. And there's a few things immediately that make it a violation. Like you can't do ketchup, like things like it's oh, just God. steak, cheese, that's it. All right. Well, I'm glad we sorted that out. And anybody that's heading down to Philly in the next little bit, make sure you check out the Prince of Steaks himself and grab one, courtesy of Frank Saravalli. Um, how many times have you been to Winnipeg? You mentioned there's a few spots. Is there a spot or two that stands out to you? I've probably been to Winnipeg... I don't know, 10 times in my life. Okay. Uh, fair amount. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've been all over, and I wish I could remember some of them. I blame Hustler for this because like, I've been in a few bars with him where like I just have no recollection of the night or where it took me. It's, it's liquid lunch, right? Yeah, and so that's uh, that's that's a Hus problem. Uh, so thanks for that. But, um, you know, I would say Pizzeria Gusto. That's a favorite. Nice, yeah. Um, Trying to think of some of the other spots that I've been. I can't recall off the top of my head, but that's one that really stands out for sure is Gusto. We're going to switch over to hockey here. It's what people mostly want to hear about. And it was interesting. You know, it, it felt like there was the, a divide here in the city. Half the Jets fans, half of Jets Nation maybe understood that the reasoning behind Kevin Chevalier not making a big move. The other half just flat out unhappy that more additions weren't brought in to supplement a potential deep playoff run. Can you maybe let us know just how close Kevin Sheveldayoff was to making a quote-unquote sizable move at the deadline? I think really close. I mean, I I, I think they really put in the effort. Um, I think you saw a report over the weekend that um, you know a lot of people believe Jamie Alexiak was the target. I do think the Jets, again, checked in with the Nashville Predators over the deadline period especially in the last few days, if not Monday in the hours leading up to it about a guy like Matthias Ekholm. Obviously you saw the price for Savard. And I think when you see a price like that paid for David Savard, maybe that's when Jets fans sort of understand where the team was at. Like they liked him, but not at that price. And I think what's difficult is there's a lot of layers to it. First off, it's not just cap, but also expansion draft and, and you're trying to protect your future assets of your team, but also you can only make do with what's available. Like you can't pry someone loose that, that isn't going to be traded. Or if you're talking about a Josh Manson who isn't going to wave to come to the Winnipeg jets, you know, he's they're on his no trade list. Like there's, there's just no way to work around that. So I think there were a number of obstacles in play and I think it was disappointing for a lot of jets fans, you know, the way that it worked out. But I, I mean, I can't really assign any blame because it's not like they just sat back and and put their feet up on the table and said, Oh, well, like we're content with what they have. They tried and it didn't work. I think there was another deal that was in the mix in the last hour that actually also ended up getting scuttled as well. Uh, I think they were really close to getting Michael Delzato, another depth piece from the Columbus blue Jackets. So that fell apart in the last hour. Um, You know, and I think they just tried on a number of things that didn't work out. 
Yeah, and, and that's the problem with this when fans get upset is that, you know, just because somebody wasn't brought in, it wasn't for a lack of trying. It could be the ask was too high where, hey, why did we get anybody? But then you get a guy and you end up way overpaying for him and then everybody gets upset at the price given up there. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Matthias Ekholm was the, I guess, the reality of the situation that once Nashville went on that hot run a few weeks ago, that once they got into the playoff mix, unless Winnipeg was offering something in the blow your socks off range, he just wasn't a viable candidate. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they were in a spot where they felt like with their marketplace, I believe the Preds see it as a must in terms of getting into the playoffs. Once they were in that position, you know, they're in a different position than some other markets. I know the Preds have been popular and we know how much Nashville has grown and, you know, being in Winnipeg, you know, from the playoff series, you guys have seen it firsthand. Um, you know, what that market is like. But if your team isn't successful and you don't make the playoffs, your season ticket sales hurt the following year. And so they wanted to get in to try and keep that going. But they've also committed $80 million to this team or whatever the number is close to it. You know, you have a right at a certain point to see how the team you put together plays out the string. And and maybe that doesn't mean that they're beating the teams that they're facing in a seven-game playoff series. But by their own nature of getting in in that spot uh, and working their way into the playoffs that they will have at least had to play somewhat decent hockey down the stretch in order to actually get in. So they wanted to give their team every opportunity to do so. And I can't really fault anyone for that because then you're also adding into the fact the expansion draft considerations that we were just talking about. In any normal year, getting a guy with one extra year on his contract left would be a boon. He'd be an extra value commodity. The Muzzin trade. Yeah, and in this case, everyone's like, what am I going to do with this extra year? I don't want to have to protect another guy. My team's already set. And so that just made it that much more difficult to make things happen. So you have Ekholm not being an option. You mentioned Manson, the no trade list. Winnipeg couldn't get in on that. On the DFO rundown that you and Jason Greger host, you mentioned the ask for Jamie Alexiak. And I was just kind of blown away. And if that's the case, it's pretty obvious why Jamie Alexiak wasn't moved to the deadline specifically to Winnipeg. Yeah, and that, that's what I had heard. Nothing confirmed was that the offer, it was like, hey, come with a first-round pick. If not, we're a team that's, you know, we think can get into the playoff mix ourselves. And, you know, injuries notwithstanding. And what a wacky year, by the way, it's been for the Stars. Stanley Cup finalists last year in the bubble. You think they're going to carry this momentum forward. They get hit with COVID right before the season starts. Their season's delayed. Then they start actually on a pretty good clip. And then they end up having this natural disaster that comes through this ice storm in Texas that shut things down for another week or 10 days. And all of a sudden, you know, your schedule, you know, spirals out of control. You're missing Tyler Sagan. Ben Bishop's now done for the year. I mean, it's just been a really, really tough year in Dallas, and I think they were thinking that they could eventually get it together around this time, and that Alexiak at six foot seven uh, would be a big part of that. But I think what's happened, and again, no confirmation here, but I believe that the Stars and Alexiak's camp had more nuanced or detailed discussions in the last twenty-four to forty-eight hours before the deadline. And I, I think it's probably a stretch to say that they came to some common ground. And But I think they probably have a better idea of what it might take to get an extension done to the point where the Stars felt more comfortable that they'd have a chance to keep him. And 
that again, might be another one of those transactions that takes place after as much as the NHL would frown on this and they've warned teams that you can't do it, sign the contract after the expansion draft takes place so that you don't have to then use that protection spot on a guy like Alexiak. So now we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the trade talk in just a second, but it's interesting you bring that up because Adam Lowry signs his big extension with the Winnipeg Jets just a few days ago. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind was, why not just wait till after then? You have a handshake deal behind closed doors and you don't run the risk of potentially losing a Mason Appleton or whoever else it may be up front. Was there a reason why the Jets and Lowry's camp just thought, you know what, we agreed to it, let's get it done now? Yeah, I think you know the way they're set up protection-wise, they're not really in that tough of a spot. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting moving forward. Like, they, they, it's so obvious how much they value his contribution. I think he's a smart player. Uh, wanted to make sure that he's happy and keep him around. And I think sometimes when, um, maybe not in Lowry's case, because you can see how tied he is to the organization, but I don't know that you want to go the distance and really kind of jerk around a player like that and and have them start their mind start to wander or think, hey, is this going to work out? You know, are they going to leave me exposed? How you know what's going to happen here? Am I going to come become a free agent? Do I want to stay here? All those things start to creep into your head, and I think it's easier to just put that aside and say, hey, uh, this is the team we've got. This is what our expansion list looks like. And I was taking a look at the expansion list again today and, and really wondering, like, what what does happen to a guy like Mason Appleton? Um, is he a guy that would be worth the Jets making a trade to say, we're going to protect Mason Appleton, You know, we'll give you this guy instead, I think the Jets got themselves into some trouble with that the last time around in the expansion draft. I think they're on, you know, a longer list of teams that made mistakes. You know, they were in that spot with Toby Enstrom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just looking back on that draft, I don't know if like the point has been made or, or driven home enough, Brandon, about the opportunity that they gave up. Nick Suzuki was the guy drafted by Vegas in that spot. And instead, the Jets picking, they go from 13th to 24th, swapping first round picks with Vegas. Um, you know, they end up with Christian Veselainen. And Veselainen, you know, is a lot different than Suzuki. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Do you just raise your, your white flag and say, hey, Mason Appleton, if you want him, he's all yours. If that's the player you're going to pick, good luck and congratulations. And we'll move on. Or do you try and make a trade? Well, that's what I was going to ask next is just do you think we'll see, and not just the Jets, but other teams in their situation where if you're Winnipeg, you know, we're going to lose Mason Appleton for nothing. Do you instead make a trade to a different organization and, hey, you know what, maybe we get a mid-round pick or whatever it may be, but at least we're getting something for that asset. And then we lose, you know, maybe like a Jansen Harkins type, but somebody mm -hmm. lower down the totem pole that, you know, you don't feel as bad about losing for nothing. Yeah, I think we could see more of those, but I think what we're going to guaranteed see less of is a lot of the trades that we were just talking about. You know, the Shea Theodore from Anaheim to Vegas. Uh, there's a lot, you know, it, just in going back through all those different deals, hey, we're going to have, you know, we're going to trade this so that you're guaranteed to take this guy. The only team I think it really worked out for was Tampa, just going back through it all. And I'd have to do a deeper dive, but... Tampa, I think, traded a second-round pick and some other things to make sure that Vegas took Jason Garrison, and I think not just to save some other guys on their 
list that would have been exposed, but also to unload Garrison's contract. So maybe that's another avenue is that maybe what you do see if you're going to see trades with Seattle is to uh, have teams unload some contracts and have them take on a few tough ones. Uh, you know, that also kind of kills two birds with one stone. But I think that would make more sense if you're the Jets would be, like you said, um, you know, trade Mason Appleton for whatever it is, a second round pick or third round pick, whatever the number is, um, rather than losing him for nothing, so long as you have and can meet the expansion requirements. Because Jansen Harkins, for instance, is still going to need a few games to close out the season in order to get there. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a tricky time to try and navigate for any GM, let alone a playoff push this year and a potential playoff push next year as well. So we'll, we'll kind of go back into that vein for the Jets. They have essentially all their assets intact now that they didn't make a move at the deadline. Do you think that maybe Kevin Chevaldeoff looked at this year and thought, you know what, we're not going to be contender with any piece we get at the deadline anyways. Let's save our chips, push more all in in the offseason, and next year will be more of a kind of a do-or-die moment for the organization. I don't know that it's that black and white. Like I, I, I know that that's how everyone wants to look at it, and I can appreciate the thinking and feeling. And I do. I don't think there's any question that the Jets are going to have more flexibility this offseason like a lot of teams, like the Edmonton Oilers are going to have a ton of flexibility and they're going to be a major player in the off season. But I think this team is kind of good enough as constituted to put itself in the conversation and, and position. Like, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff had said it repeatedly. This is not really a household name defense. And, you know, I think before this season started, I personally had a lot of question marks and that's why I saw the Jets on the playoff bubble, you know, when we were trying to size up this North division and how crazy it would be, I wasn't really sure what to think, but I, it, they've come together quite nicely to the point where, yes, you know, do they still have their flaws and their hiccups and their stretches in their own end where they're hemmed in and you're saying, man, you know, they need that sort of shutoff valve that they don't have. But I don't know that, you know, in this spot with the other pieces they have in Hellebuck and, and their forward core, that they're really any worse off than anyone else positionally. So um, I, I kind of, I don't mind this approach. I think that's a long way of saying that as tough as it was for Jets fans to swallow, you know, kind of given the hype and the expectations that went into the deadline, that basically what happened made sense. Like it, it all, you know, it, it might not be pretty, but it, like I get that they wanted to save their assets for better use later if they end up doing so. And, I could see this team being in a position where keep drafting in the first round, keep developing players, put yourself in a spot where you can keep this cycle of really competitive teams staying in the top 10 of the league for a, a period of 10 years. If you can do it, give yourself as many cracks and kicks at the can to win a Stanley cup as you can. Cause not every chance, not every time that you go all in, results in your team actually really having that opportunity. Like look at the Washington Capitals for the better part of the last 10 years before they won the Stanley Cup. How many president's trophies, how many top teams, how many first round picks did that team trade away only to get to a spot where they won in a year that they probably weren't even expecting to win? Yeah, it might have been the eighth best version of the Capitals that we've seen that ended up winning it all. So, and on top of that too, right? Like even the lightning teams of the past few years that were 
just light years ahead of anybody else. The team that lost in the first round of Columbus, like that was yeah. probably their best ever team, one of the best teams in NHL history. And what was their chance of winning the cup? It's generally 20% for a team, right? So you even when your team is that good, it's 80% likely that you're not going to win the Stanley Cup. So, I, I mean, hey, I don't know which way Kevin Chevalier is thinking. Maybe the more pragmatic Long That's the way I, I believe yeah. he thinks is sort of conservative and let's try and get as many kicks at the can as we can. Now at trade deadline time, what's always fascinating to me is, is the deals that almost happen. They don't happen, but generally they eventually do down the road in the off season. Once teams have, you know, a little bit more leg room to work with and things like that. Were the jets close to any of those that maybe get revisited in the off season or were there, you know, maybe one or two other moves that, you yourself are going to keep an eye on come, you know, July, August? Not so much with the Jets. I, I didn't hear a lot in terms of some of the other things that they might have been after that they didn't end up pulling the trigger on that could be revisited. Um, I, I do think that one of the real undercurrents, well, there were, I think there were two. I think a lot of people were curious about Tony D'Angelo and would he end up leaving the Rangers? Uh, could they find a trade partner? I, I mentioned on the DFO rundown that there were, to my knowledge, four total teams in the last month before the deadline that had either done homework or had conversations with the Rangers or with D'Angelo's camp about trying to make a move. And then the other big, sexy, juicy one is Jack Eichel with the Sabres, right? Like everyone's curious, has he played his last game with the Sabres already, given the fact that he's out with an injury? I think there were some rumblings and conversations with the Los Angeles Kings over the trade deadline period. I don't think anything that ever materialized in a serious way. And I think to the Sabres credit and Kevin Adams credit, there's been a lot of tire kicking to the point where, Hey, you know, he gets a call and the conversation is something like, Hey, are you, taking calls on Jack Eichel and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're listening on everyone. And it's like, well, we're not ready to make you an offer, but if you are going to be moving Jack Eichel, call us. And so it doesn't a lot of times go further than that, but I think Jack Eichel would make a lot of sense in Los Angeles. And I think that's one that could get revisited uh, in future conversations. And, you know, I don't know if I could handicap the Jack Eichel race, you know, in terms of, is he going to remain in Buffalo or not? I think it's like 50-50 heading into the summer. Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't blame him or any big name wanting out of Buffalo with how the past few years have gone. But it's also pretty evident to me that, you know, if you're going to make a front runner, no other team has that potential franchise number one centerman as an asset like the Kings do with Quinton Byfield. So I don't know what, what else the package would be, but it does seem like there's a pretty – a pretty neat marriage. They've got an embarrassment of riches like with their their prospect group that they could move. And I think another team to watch would be the New York Rangers. Like They could make a lot of sense as well. Just a couple more here, Frank, before we let you go. We've got, I think, 11 Jets games left before the regular season. If you had to make a prediction right now, how do you see the North Division playoff race and then eventually who comes out of that division come playoff time? Hmm. So... I know that the Leafs have been scuffling of late and, you know, Leaf Nation, like, okay. Like, oh, God. Yeah, it's Armageddon all over again. Yeah, like, you know, all of a sudden saying that the game against the Canucks was the same as the David Ayers game from last season. Like, come on. Like, 
Not it's not close. Yeah. Um, I think they'll find a way to hang on to that top spot. The math starts to get a little bit difficult, uh, just points percentage wise and things like that. Um, so I do like the Leafs to finish first. I kind of think that it'll end up standings wise almost exactly as it is at this very moment. Leafs one, Jets two, Oilers three, and Canadians four. Now here's where it gets interesting is playing that out in a playoff series. Now, before we can really talk upset, we need to think about the Habs and how ridiculous their schedule has will be once they finally get in. The sheer you know, craziness of the number of games they play in, in a shortened period of time. And that, that probably is going to have an impact on the playoffs itself. But I do think that there's a chance that the Habs are a really dangerous playoff team just the way that they're built. Uh, I know they've been inconsistent. They've barely been able to string together any sort of real winning streak. They've been all over the map since Dom Ducharme took over as coach. But I think on paper, with the toughness, how you know big their blue line is, their speed up front, and then Carey Price has actually been pretty good. If he's healthy, you know, you look at since he retooled his game and took a few days off for a long stretch. He played at nine thirty. Uh, he's down to nine fourteen since that cooling off period, but it's still been pretty good. Yeah. So I. I like the Habs as a scary playoff team that's going to make someone sweat. And then you add in the fact that the Leafs, if they're playing the Habs in that 4-1 matchup, it's they've got a lot on their shoulders, a lot of pressure. Yeah. This team needs to break through. This is our year. Look at the deadline acquisitions that we've made. Look at the playoff failures we've had in the past. This core has never done anything. That's a lot. That's a big burden to carry. So even without fans, um, I don't know. I, I'm not... Not ready to say that the the Leafs walk all over the Habs, given all those things that I mentioned. And then that that second matchup, the Jets and Oilers, like coin flip. Be, yeah, yeah, like total coin flip. I'm also not willing to say that the Jets aren't the best team in Canada. Like, and not to make too bold of a prediction, but. I really like I like this Jets team and I've liked them, you know, really since um the first few weeks of the season ha- has played out like they're a fun team to watch, they're exciting and they've got arguably the best goalie in the country. So I mean, I don't really have any knocks against the Jets. Um it's just going to come down to and I'm going to be really interested to watch how these these games play out with the Oilers matchup wise. Like how do you handle McDavid? How do you handle Drysaitel? And, you know, how, how does that all sort itself out? So I, I do, I see that, um, a slight edge to the jets and then Brendan, what does that leave us? If it's Leafs and jets, like, or be unbelievable. That'd be a great second round matchup. It'd be amazing. I mean, the, the games this season alone between the two clubs have been outstanding. And I, I think we're both kind of in agreement here where the Leafs, I think need to be favorites against any team in the North in a series but with absolutely no confidence whatsoever, right? Like, they're the favorites, but I can easily see Winnipeg, Edmonton, or Montreal beating them in a seven-game series. Yeah, I think the North, not as much as the East, but it's 
I think the East, you can throw the seeds out the window. Like they mean absolutely nothing. Whatever matchup you get, whether it's Caps, Bruins, uh, whether it's, you know, whoever it is, it ends up being in that, uh, that East spot. Those teams are all interchangeable. And I think the North is the second division like that, where it's like on a lowercase scale, they're all so close that, and that you know that takes into account, like I said, the struggles that the Habs have had this year. Um, I think they're all pretty close to each other to the point where it could be a coin flip. All right, Frank. Well, this has been a blast. Thanks so much for joining me here today. One last one for you on the way out. We ask every guest this when they drop onto the pod. But game day time, whether it's a Flyers game out there in Philly or you're sitting down for, say, game one of Jets-Oilers come playoff time, What's the go-to game day food item that you're going to sit down and and uh, have yourself a bit of a feast when it comes to uh, watching a hockey game? Pizza. I don't even need to think about it. Any kind of pizza. Um, you know, it, I forget where I heard it, but it makes so much sense and it's so true. It's like pizza is like sex. Even when it's bad, it's still really good. <laughs> Hey, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Perfect answer. All right, man. Well, yeah, again, thanks so much. I know you're busy, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Happy to do it. A ton of interesting stuff there. And I think Frank made it very clear why a big-time move wasn't made. I mean, Ekholm was off the market. Alexiak's ass was sky high. I mean, a first-round pick was clearly ridiculous. So Dallas wasn't really trying to move him, I think, in the first place. And Josh Manson didn't want to come to Winnipeg. Now, the Manson one is interesting because I do wonder if the framework for a deal was there, but the defenseman decided to use his no-trade clause to block that deal as opposed to, you know, nothing even being agreed to. And if that's the case, I'd love to know what the offer was. It's a shame we can't find out, but it sets up for a very interesting summer in more ways than one. Maybe that gets revisited. Maybe a different defenseman is targeted. But that's also because the big man himself is here to stay for five more years. Adam Lowry, locked up long term, will break down the contract in just a second. But first, this weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Better than that Jake Paul garbage over the weekend. Every punch, kick, and knockout, it means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. And the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, DraftKings, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering every player a shot at millions in total prizes. Again, like baseball, like basketball, like hockey, if you haven't tried it, Fantasy MMA is super easy to play. You pick six fighters, you stay under the salary cap, and you pile up points for advances, takedowns, a whole lot more. No better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than competing for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget basketball, hockey. DraftKings has even more money up for grabs with those sports throughout the week as well. And of course, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Hopefully a lot of withdrawing coming your way. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. 
See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so five years, $3.25 million per season for Adam Lowry. Good deal, bad deal, just right. Look, is year five of that contract going to be tremendous value for the Jets? Probably not. So, I mean, look, in a perfect world, you'd like one less year tacked on, maybe a couple of bucks chopped off as well. But having said that, keeping the cap it down to 3.25 is pretty tidy business for a good third-line center who also provides an element that can't be found anywhere else in this lineup. Now, this is also an interesting contract because if you look at it by the numbers, strictly, it's an overpay for the Jets. If you look at it through the intangibles lens and everything like that, this is a steal for the Jets. So, like always, when you have opposite ends of the spectrum, the truth is is probably, for me, somewhere in between. But I will say this, and I think everyone in Winnipeg should should really understand this, and for people outside the market too, why, why I think this is a good contract for the Winnipeg Jets. We all know, we've heard it time and time again, how hard it is to convince players to sign long-term in Winnipeg. I mean, look, Josh Manson is another example of that, allegedly, didn't want to Leave Anaheim for Winnipeg. Don't necessarily blame him for that, but it, it's hard to get players to come here. And and Adam Lowry just loves this city. He, he loves the city, the community, the team, all of it. And he's an outstanding guy. He loves to cook too, which just adds another layer to how much of a beauty he is. But seriously, locking players like that down to long-term deals is, is just invaluable to the Winnipeg Jets organization. To have an ambassador like that across the league, to help maintain the culture that the club is trying to build, Lowry does all of that. Plus, there's no guarantee you find a way to replace him in free agency, in the trade market, that you can convince a player, yeah, Winnipeg is the place you want to spend and work the next few years of your life. So, look, maybe the five-year, the fifth year is a headache for the Jets. But I like that the club is is taking on the risk. And I do think Adam Lowry is going to be tremendously valuable to the team for the next few years. There's always going to be the injury concern with Adam Lowry, especially with the way he plays. And, you know, hey, as somebody who's had back problems himself, I, I understand that, you know, you're basically taking it day by day at that point. But to me, this season, he's moving better than he's ever moved before. And I think some of the time off over the last year and a half or so with the the pandemic and the upheaval in schedules, I think that's allowed his body to maybe rest and recuperate a little bit. I like it. I, I do. I, I don't think the fifth year is going to be a pretty one for the Jets. But you're probably getting three to four kick-ass years out of Adam Lowry. A couple deep playoff runs on top of that. And with everything he brings off the ice, I'm not a huge you know believer in overpaying for things like that but I think I would make an exception in this case because Adam Lowry really is everything that I think fans want the Winnipeg Jets to be all about and I hey sometimes it's okay to cheer on the personal side of things and I think that's the case here with Adam Lowry so didn't find a lot of people that were upset with the deal and I think you know over the next couple of years as well there's not going to be a whole lot of complaints from people with that regard. 
But hey, let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki. Did you, do you like the Adam Lowry deal? Not long enough, maybe? Or were you one of those that, if you're looking by the numbers here, this is something that could come back to bite the Jets down the road? Again, let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. The other part of this, of course, with everything that gets done here that isn't a one-year deal, is the looming expansion draft with those sexy Seattle Kraken. I just, God, I love that name. But the Jets are now poised to lose, you know, specifically up front, one of Mason Appleton or Jansen Harkins. And the loss of Appleton to me is is very concerning. Losing him for nothing, let alone losing him at all. <laughs> I mean, he's having a tremendous, tremendous season. So with that in mind, I do wonder if the Jets would potentially look at making a move this offseason to get some value back as opposed to losing someone for nothing at all. And and maybe as much as it hurts, it is a trade that you, you move Mason Appleton somewhere for something in return. I don't know what you know the return on that could be, second, third round pick, but at least you're getting something instead of losing him for, for Zippo. But something I do find potentially interesting, just looking at the roster, the salary cap, all of that taken into consideration here, what about the possibility of an Andrew Cop trade after this season is done? I mean, we all know the history between Kurt Overhart clients and Chevy and this team. You take that into account with, I, th- I think it's something like 85% of players that go to arbitration with their team eventually move on and depart pretty quickly onto a new team. So there's that to take into account. I mean, Cop's up for a negotiation at the end of the year, RFA. He's going to get a a pretty big raise, I have to imagine, after, I mean, just a stellar, stellar year he's having. So if you take all that into consideration, I don't know, maybe you'd rather keep Mason Appleton at a a lesser rate, a smaller contract, hope he improves and and develops as he has this past year, and and you move Kopp as part of a deal to grab something in return. Maybe for a defenseman as well, in in a bigger package deal, perhaps. So I I do think there is a really intriguing plan in place that Chevy and company have because the timing of the Lowry deal is just so interesting to me, to say the least. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as we get closer to the expansion draft in the months up here to come. But that does it for another episode. Again, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And if you can... Review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and all that other junk. It really does help. <laughs> but we're back on Friday. We got another food interview on tap for you guys, plus the major showdown, the only game in a while for the Winnipeg Jets here. It goes Thursday night, 1v2 in the North Division. Jets Leafs will dive into that one to send you off into the weekend coming up this Friday. But until then, thanks for listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.